I'm not feeling great right now. Uh, save, save it for the show. Okay, save okay. it for the show. Save it for the show. Um, yeah, so we uh, have a lot of things to... This is not really the show, but I'm trying to ease into it since I've cut Marco off. We uh, we have lots of stuff to cover. It's going to be John Syracuse's favorite kind of episode, an episode where it's probably nothing but follow-up. So brace yourselves, everybody. It is everyone's favorite time of year. It is approaching WWDC time. So what does that mean? It means the ATP store is back. And no snark. I really mean this. I've been really excited for this one. I feel like we have a really good lineup this year. Not that they've been bad in other years, but I feel like this year, really good lineup. And so here's what we've got. If you are listening to this now, recorded or live, you can go to atp.fm slash store. And we have several different offerings. Let me briefly try to go through them all without John or Marco, probably John, interrupting me, and then we will spend a little more time on each of them. We've got... Hey, I'm good at interrupting you too. <laughs> well, yes, but I thought John would have more thoughts on this one. So anyway, so we've got... It, actually, you succeeded in making your point. Well done. <laughs> <Yes>. uh, so, <laughs> all right, so we've got the uh, several different shirts. We've got the M1 shirt. The front is our favorite six colors, you know, slash, 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 with M1 on the front. The back... A certain John Syracusa spent an inordinate amount of time recreating the chip diagram of the M1. It looks excellent. We have that in color on the front, and then it's monochrome on the back. We also have that in monochrome on the front, so it's just white ink on the front, but several different kind uh, colors of shirts. We've got an ATP Performance shirt, so this is kind of in the spirit of Under Armour, although it is not exactly Under Armour. So if you were wearing this while you are sweating, it doesn't stick to you, and you don't have to, like, scissor it off. It actually slides right off. Then we also have the classic logo shirt, the one that we've known and loved for several years now. We've got the pins that have been around forever and we'll eventually run out of them, but that day is not today. <laughs> and then my personal favorite, because this was my contribution, we have an ATP pint glass, an etched ATP pint glass, which I'm very excited about. So that's the quick overview. Uh, this will all be available. The sale will end Friday, May 14. This is where I do the same thing I do every year. For those of you who are good about this, I'm sorry for wasting a moment of your time. I'm sorry, but I got to do it every year, every time, without fail, <laughs> at, within hours of the, of the sale ending, I get tweets. <gasps> Is it over? Oh, I forgot. Is it over? Is it over? Oh, no, I forgot. Is it over? Yes, it's over. So please, if you're listening to this and you are at all interested in any of these fantastic shirts or glasses or pins, now is the time. Pull your car over if you're in the car pull over to the side of the walkway that you're on if you're walking or in all likelihood you're at home which is where you probably should be so stop what you're doing at home atp.fm slash store now's the time all right let's go through this with a little more detail john the m1 shirt was i think a hundred percent your work so would you like to dive in a little more and tell us a little more about it yeah for the people who don't listen to the car segments or don't care about them or don't understand what it is with our logo like the the, the joke of our atp logo is that since this you know, since Accidental Tech Podcast came out of us doing a car podcast, it looks a lot like the M logo, the BMW M logo, which has some colored stripes leaning to the right and then an M. And so our show was a bunch of, you know, colored stripes, but it was the Apple colors and then a leaning A for ATP, right? Uh, this year, of course, we know the M1 is in all the Macs and the M1 is awesome. So it gave us a chance to make a shirt that actually has a bunch of colored stripes and a slanty M. Looks just like the BMW <laughs> M logo. Please, BMW, don't sue us. It's parody. 
Um, <laughs> and, and so now finally we have an actual M shirt. Uh, now BMW, the M1 was a supercar and it was not, it didn't have a logo or anything like this. Um, actually BMW makes their ones a little bit different, but we took some artistic license. So that's the idea behind the M1 shirt. Um, the, so we've got the, the colored one, which I think is the most expensive to manufacture shirt we've ever made because every single one of those colors on the front, I think, is a separate printing pass. Plus, we printed on the back. So I think for the first time, we had to do calculations to make sure we literally wouldn't lose money in each shirt that we sold. Um, so we apologize for the price. And speaking of the, the price of these shirts, and forget about shipping and VAT. I know they're insanely expensive. Just want to remind everybody. If you don't care about shirts, you don't care about pint glasses, you don't want any of this junk in your life, but you just want to give us money, we have a way for you to do that. <laughs> you can become an ATP member at atp.fm slash join. And believe me, like if you want a shirt, get a shirt. But if you just want to give us money, we get way, way, way more money if you join as a member than if you buy a shirt. I know it seems ridiculous. Like, how can you not be making a ton of money off these shirts? The shirts are here for people who want shirts. I want shirts. My kids want shirts. People want shirts. People want pint glasses. Get them if you want them. They're awesome. They're really cool. But if you don't care about any of this merch and you just want to give us money, atp.fm slash join. And the synergy here is if you do want a shirt, but you don't want to pay full price for that shirt, if you're an ATP member, you get 15% off every single thing in the store. So you can become a member today. Become a member. Get you know Pay for one month of membership. Get the 15% discount. Save more money than you spent on the membership. Buy a bunch of stuff. Cancel next month. It's really easy to do. Yep. Oh, and I guess I guess the uh, the colored M1 shirt. So the monochrome one is our attempt to let people have this shirt for less money because the monochrome is just one color of ink, so you don't have to do umpteen printing passes on it. But the cool thing about the M1 monochrome shirt is it comes in a ton of colors. Let me look at how many different colors we have of this thing. We have uh, like blue, red, purple, teal, green, pink, uh, like a, a lighter purple, like tri-blend versions of all those. So just because we show a blue shirt and you're like, ah, I don't want a blue shirt, look at all the colors. A lot of them are really cool looking. Uh, lots of different styles, different materials. When possible, we give every color and every possible material. It's not always possible. Some colors are only available in cotton, some only available in tri-blend, but just check out all the colors. Same thing with the performance shirt. It comes in a bunch of different colors and styles. So check it out. Um, and as for the pint glass, it is not printed, it is etched. We already had someone ask whether that's dishwasher safe. I assume so. We will have follow-up next week. Uh, to confirm one or the other. But that's part of the reason we didn't choose printing. Uh, etching is actually scratching of the glass, so I think that'll hold up well. Yep, yep. I'm super excited about this, all, all of this. And I, I can't stress enough, John, You can you tell the story of recreating the M1 for the back of the M1 shirt? Because you went through and just a preposterous amount of work to get this to look right. Eh, it's not that much work. I mean, like, so it's, it looks, if you look at it, you'll say, Hey, I recognize that kind of from like Apple's presentations where they show this stylized, not really realistic version of the M one that shows the four high performance cores and the four efficiency cores and the GPU cores. And it's not a reflection of the physical chip, but it is kind of an abstract diagram that Apple uses. But of course we can't use Apple's graphics because they belong to Apple's, but I can in fact sit there for hours and hours in a vector design program and make a series of rectangles that more or less approximates exactly what Apple had. So uh, thank you, Apple, for the inspiration for this uh, chip design, even though it doesn't reflect reality. And yes, I did draw every single line of that chip myself. And I think a series of rectangles might be underestimating how many lines there are in this drawing. <laughs> I mean, they really are all rectangles. Like, it's just a, it's a lot of rectangles. And the, the other thing that I discovered when drawing it is that Apple's 
drawings are not symmetrical. Like when you see a bunch of lines that you think are evenly spaced, they're not actually evenly spaced. Because I was trying to do it on a grid with like grid snap, and I realized when I did the, the same number of lines as Apple, it would be like they wouldn't line up correctly. Anyway, it's it's artisanally hand created. It's very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really, really excited for this. Uh way back when it was one of our earlier shirt sales when we had done the how would you describe this? I think this was Marco's idea, but it was it was a rounded rect outline that was approximately the proportions of the then new Apple watch. And it said accidental tech podcast on it. And we did this years and years and years ago. And I think this was the same shirt that we did the edition, the very first edition, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And if you weren't around for that, we basically printed one or had one printed in with like gold foil or something like that, which I don't think it was actual literal gold, but nevertheless. No, I, we actually tried to make it literal gold, but they, and, and there are people who print in gold leaf, but like it, it wasn't going to work out. Like there was some practical reason why like you, you kind of can't really do it. <laughs> like It's technically possible, but it's a bad idea. Right. So we had attempted to do that and it didn't work out. But one of the shirts we did was a, was the sport shirt. And we did that in this, again, it's not literally under armor, but you know, under armor style, like, uh, I don't know how to describe it. That doesn't that, that in a flattering way. Cause I would say like almost like a plasticky, but that sounds terrible. It's not plasticky, but nevertheless we did that. And that is like my designated workout shirt. And I only bought one of them. So I, I use it a lot and it's, it, I need, it needs, it needs brothers and sisters. So hence the ATP performance shirt, which I'm really excited about. And again, that comes like John said in several different colors. Uh, and I cannot tell you enough how excited I am for the ATP pint glass years ago. Plex sent me a uh, bunch of swag just to be nice because Plex is awesome. And one of them was a pint glass with a printed Plex logo on it. And it is my favorite pint glass. And even though I'm not a beer drinker, it's the, you know, a pint is a perfect size for all sorts of beverages, for water, for, for uh, soda, for any number of things, for mixed drinks, if you're aggressive. So uh, I am really excited to get this pint glass uh, in the house and, and have some friends for my Plex pint glass as well. I am super stoked. This is all, again, until Friday, May 14th. I won't belabor the point, but please, if you're even thinking about it, now's the time. Pull over, stop what you're doing, atp.fm slash store, atp.fm slash join. And again, please go to your membership page or your member page and see what your discount code is and find your discount code and use that when you check out. Save yourself 15%. So thank you for, uh, for entertaining us. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll move right along and continue Actually, celebrating. Be, be, before we continue, I'm, mm. I wanted to thank Casey and reiterate that because I totally forgot. If you're an ATP member, you get 15% off. If you go to your member page and get your discount code, you actually have to go. It's you know, We have a link to the member page on atp.fm slash store. So you log in as your member. You go to your member page. There you see like your private feeds and all the other stuff. And you will also see your discount code. Copy and paste that discount code into the promo code field when you check out from the Cotton Bureau page. And that's how you get your discount. Yep. Moving right along, we have other things that we need to celebrate. Two-thirds of ATP have completed asterisk, asterisk, their journey on the vaccination train, which we'll talk about that in a second. But Marco, how you feeling, buddy? <laughs> Not great, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> what is that from? I know the line, but what is that from? Mad Men. Okay. So you got yours yesterday, your second shot yesterday? Yeah, yeah. It's I've, I've had friends who have had worse days after, mm-hmm. um, but I'm not having the nothing reaction that I think many people have, yeah, for sure. I, I, I had a mostly nothing reaction. Erin also got her second yesterday, and she, I think, is is on the same you know path that you are. She's not bad, but she's not feeling good. On my desk in front of me are two Benadryl pills. 
that I will be taking near the end of the show, <laughs> <laughs> which will start a timeline. <laughs> so I, right. I won't, but, but yeah, I uh, look, let me start by saying I, I might have committed a crime. Um, oh, wonderful. I, I gave false statements. They asked if I had had any of the symptoms uh, recently. And I said, no, but that wasn't entirely true. You see, my kid had a cold uh, about a week ago. It basically it was going around like the whole school, the whole town. Everybody has this cold, and it's not COVID. If people have been tested, it's fine. We know it's not that. Um, so we, <laughs> this cold has hit me. One of the weird symptoms of this cold is that every night for or most nights for the last three or four nights, I've gotten like hives on my arms and legs, just itch for a, what? a while. I've never gotten hives in my life. I have mild allergies here and there. Never had hives for anything. So that's interesting. Um, and it seems to completely unrelated. Believe me, I've, I've done the debugging of like, all right, what are the factors that have changed? What could this possibly be? Could it be food? Could it be laundry detergent? Like all that, everything. It's not. It's none of those things. Like nothing correlates in, in a direct way to this. Um, except I did some research and apparently... Hives are often apparently the result of like certain viruses. Like sometimes you just get a cold and one of the things it does to you is give you hives for the the duration of the cold. I had never heard of this, but when you research hives, that's what turns up from like the more reputable sources, which by the way are hard to find. (laughs) But anyway, so uh, I decided, you know, we had this appointment that was set from when we got the first shot. They automatically set you the second appointment three weeks later. And I thought, you know, I can I can not get my second shot, but there's a risk in that, that like all the testing that's been done on the vaccines and, and it, the, the massive amount of data that we have that this thing is ridiculously overwhelmingly safe. Like, I'm pretty sure you're more likely to die on the way to the vaccine site in a car accident than you are to die from the vaccine. <laughs> I know that we've tested this very widely, but we've tested it with people getting a shot you know, once, and then getting a second one three weeks later. If I get my second one six weeks later, then that's going to be a lot less tested of a, of a situation. Uh, you'd be fine. Like the, the three weeks is uh, the soonest you can possibly give it because they're rushing to get the vaccine. Most vaccines, they wait six months to a year. So just FYI, I know it's too late now, but you could you could have waited a year and it would be fine. Well, and I, I know logically, I know like, and I mean, Again, like the way mRNA vaccines work is so remarkably amazing and remarkably safe compared to you know most of the things. Like, I'm not. I wasn't. I wasn't too concerned. I'm like, okay, th- that would be like an unknown, or I could just go get it now, even though I kind of have a weird cold, and roll the dice on that risk. And I decided to do do that instead because i wanted to get this done your reasoning about health decisions is suspect on many levels i mean you're talking about the thing that's tested they're asking those questions for a reason presumably because they don't want you to take it when you have a cold but you're okay doing that anyway i'm sure everything is fine i'm sure it's fine i'm just saying i feel like your reasoning your 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 reasoning is not sound for any of this (laughs) well regardless maybe maybe people don't always make the right decisions but regardless that's what i did uh so i i still have the the weird nighttime hives on my arms and legs uh but otherwise like from the vaccine i seem to only have worsened my cold by making myself extremely tired all day today (laughs) (laughs) just like really just like knocked out tired but i don't have like the fever that everyone says they get and everything so i think i'm doing okay and ultimately 
I mean, geez, I did two episodes of the show with COVID. I was going to say, like, you're really on the you're really on the COVID tour this year. You get the actual COVID, you get the vaccine. Now you're getting the second shot while you have some other cold. Like, you just you you're rounding all the bases here. So I think you're, you know, maybe you'll get a, a, a fourth or a, th- a third uh, COVID shot in six months. Who knows? <laughs> oh my word! Thanks. Yeah, maybe I see this. I got the Pfizer. Maybe I get the Moderna one also. Just just for yeah. Why not? Just yeah. Double up. <laughs> All right. So we should start with some follow up. And this relates actually to what we were just talking about. So I this this is one of those moments where I swear at some point I said something, but either it got cut or you totally said it. It got cut in the edit. Okay, so I was going to say either it got cut in the edit or there was enough like distance between the thing that I said wrong and my in-show correction, which does happen sometimes. You know, I'll say something five minutes into the show and then I'll correct it ten minutes into the show. And we've already gotten inundated with emails after the five-minute mark about how wrong I am, which, you know, at that moment I was wrong. So that's fine. And, and that's why it got edited out because your correction was distant from it and Marco was trimming the fat. So anyway, go on. Yeah. So <laughs> last week I was making reference to uh, being full, quote-unquote full fully vaccinated, which I, I, I don't know if that necessarily is the wrong nomenclature, but it certainly presented the wrong implication. And I would just like to state clearly that, yes, even last week, I knew that it's not until two weeks after your second shot, if you're on the two shot system, uh, that you are considered com- completely and utterly vaccinated. All I was trying to say at the time, which again, I probably should have chosen better words, is I I have received the mandatory two shots that I need. Uh, and and this was at some point or another, this related to the Gruber term maxinated, which um, which I think is quite funny and I have embraced uh, when, when Gruber defined maxinated as two weeks after your you know final shot. And so I am not yet maxinated. I am halfway to maxinated in the sense that I, I got my first or excuse me, I got my second shot about a week ago. So, yes, you are not fully vaccinated until two weeks after your second shot. I am well aware of that. I am sorry that that got cut at, in the last episode. As am I, because it was probably my fault. Well, you know, like I said, I think I clarified. We we went off on like a tangent, if I recall correctly, and then by the time I got the clarification, us. Yeah, if you listen to the tangent, you see why it was cut. But that's where you put your correction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> got it. Uh, yeah, Austin, a tangent. No. Yeah, right. That never happens. <laughs> so, uh, moving right along. Sometime, what was it? Just a day or two ago. Uh, who is this? Joanna Stern had an interview with uh, Hair Force One, otherwise known as Craig Federighi. And it was a pretty good interview. It was only eight minutes long. You can find it on YouTube. And interestingly, at seven and a quarter minutes, uh, Joanna asks him, hey, you know, uh, Tim has said that he's going to be out in 10 years. Are you going to be the next CEO? And John, what did, he, what did he say? Also, here's the thing. Yeah, I would encourage everyone to watch this interview because it's really short. And also because his hair seems to be at half-mast. I don't know if he had, a, if he had a, This is like the first bad CFED hair day I've ever seen. Maybe it was like really humid there? Yeah, it looked kind of like that. Um, or maybe he just got out of bed. I don't know. But that was the question. It's like, oh, your name has been floated as the next CEO, which is a topic that we discussed in the show a couple episodes ago. Who are the possible, who are the possible people who could be in line for next CEO? And when we discussed it, my attitude towards uh, Federighi being the next CEO was like, ah, it doesn't seem like something he's interested in, um, you know, because he just seems like he's more interested in tech stuff. And I'm surely he knows how hard Tim's job is. I'm not sure he has any, you know, it was all about like whoever was going to be CEO was going to really have to want that job. And it's a difficult job. And it's in many ways not as much fun as being uh, more technical level. So he got asked the question and his answer was, Get out of here. No, I think he said irresponsible. Yeah, that would be irresponsible. <laughs> That's insanity. Forget it. Right. But watch the video. That's why I will have a timestamp link in uh, the show notes that brings you directly to that question. You can see his answer. And what he says, the words, the transcript is, oh, that's that's silly, you know, whatever. But the way he says it said, oh, 
CFED wants to be CEO. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> I, it's, that was my read on it anyway. My read on it was, yes, it was a silly, oh, forget it. That's so, that's so ridiculous, right? But the way he said it makes me think he's open to the idea. So uh, I'm starting to come around on that. I, don't, I still don't think that, A, he would want it, or B, he should be the CEO because we know him to some degree. The three of us have all met him at some point, right? Yep. Like, I've, like I've had a couple of conversations with him, like WBCs and stuff. You can tell through and through he's a nerd like us. And a nerd like us should not be in the CEO of Apple in 2021 position. Because at, like as I was saying, like that's it's at this point it's more of like a like it's almost like a political and diplomatic kind of job on a lot of levels, and that's not a job for a nerd. That's a job for basically a tech savvy politician. Well, I was saying that because he's a nerd, he wouldn't want it because that's not what he's into. But in terms of could a nerd do that job well? Here's the thing: yes, he's the nerd, but he's so high up on the org chart that surely his last two or three jobs have been like ninety eight percent political, managerial, you know, BS. It just so happens that he's also still super technical and super into that. But I think, as Steve Jobs at least has shown. Whatever it is that you're super into, you can still dig down on even when you're CEO. Like, you can just kind of choose which things you delegate. You know what I mean? So that, I mean, I, again, I don't, I'm basing it off, like, the way he said, like, a three-word answer. So this is obviously silly, right? But um, I, I no longer think it's ridiculous that he might be interested in it. And I don't think it's ridiculous that he might do an okay job at it. Just because his strengths are completely different than Tim Cook's and Tim Cook's were completely different than Steve's. I think they're all they're all inhabiting such a high level in the org chart that they all could do a reasonable job as CEO. They would just be very different kinds of CEOs. I think that's true. And the rumblings I've heard from friends at Apple is that, you know, I think some of them like CFED and some of them don't, but I've never heard anyone even think about breathing th- that he's not an incredibly smart man. Like, you know, everyone universally, the, the, the friends of mine who like him, the friends of mine that don't, all say that he's extremely bright. And if you look at this interview, now granted, I'm sure it was heavily edited, but it seems like not only is he smart, but he's a very cool customer in a very Tim Cook sort of way. Uh, and and I, I don't know that he would get the nod, and I, I'm not 100% convinced he would want it, but I do think think if, if I were a betting man, I'd say he would definitely take a stab at it. And the other interesting thing is, you know, he is extremely technical. I think it was Marco a second ago that said he's, you know, a nerd's nerd. He really, really is. Right. He's still at least looking at code from time to time. And I think there have been times that that rank and file engineers have had to be like, Craig, stop. Please don't make commits. No, 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 no. <laughs> Please stop. You have much more important things. That may be BS. I might be making that up, but I'm pretty sure that I have heard that stories about that, you know, years, not too many years ago, that this is still a thing that happens from time to time. And he he seems to really get it. So I only met him once. It was when Marco, if I recall correctly, you had spotted him across the like field at the bash when it was still in San Francisco. And all of a sudden you basically like grabbed my arm and said, follow me, let's go. (laughs) What is going on? And next thing I know, I'm, I'm posing with Federighi uh, and shaking his hand and he was an extremely kind fellow. And so anyways, uh, yeah, I, I would, I would be surprised if he was the one to get the nod, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was interested in it. I did pick up there was a little bit of oddity to like his tone of reaction, but I attributed that to discomfort with the question as opposed to like actually wanting the job. Because again, like I've I've heard similar things, Casey, of like that how he he really is very involved with the tech. 
I can't imagine that he has any interest in doing all the other crap that the CEO has to do. He's really into the software and the tech. And I, he doesn't even seem to be that into a lot of the like product design and, and product decision stuff, let alone like the massive amount of operational and political stuff that CEOs have to deal with, uh, financial stuff. Like there's, I mean, there's so much stuff that CEOs have to do these days, especially the CEO of Apple in 2021 or 2031 or whatever it is. Like it's, it's not a job that somebody who is very, very technical would probably really want to do because honestly, he's probably really happy where he is because where he is is about as high up as you can go without having a lot more of that other stuff come into your job description that he probably doesn't want. Yeah, I, I think, you know, people always have aspirations. People are always enthusiastic and trying to get to the next, you know, next big thing. But I, I totally hear what you're saying. I could go on with, with this conversation for another hour. But we got a lot to go through. So let's just move right along. Apple TV. So calibration. I think thought we had said this or implied this last episode, but I, I guess not. The whole thing where you calibrate the TV, which is, I guess, how we phrased it, you're not actually calibrating the TV itself. You're calibrating the Apple TV's output for your specific TV. The idea being that when you when your TV is tuned to the Apple TV, when you're using the Apple TV as your input, then it will look incredible because you've used your iPhone and the Apple TV in concert in order to tune the output for your specific TV. Is that a better way of describing it? I mean, we did say that it adjusts the TV's outputs, but I didn't delve into what that and what the implications of that are. I mean, the obvious first implication is that means that if you calibrate the Apple TV's output to look better on your TV, that only affects the Apple TV. Because when you're not looking at the Apple TV, that was the only thing whose output you calibrated. Like you're not calibrating the, the display device. You're calibrating the signal that comes over the HDMI cable into your display device and adjusting that signal to account for whatever weirdness there is in your display device. But when you use another display device like your game console or your cable box or whatever it is that you have, anything you did with the Apple TV is totally irrelevant because you were only basically telling the Apple TV to output different signals. Second thing is, perhaps less obvious, Television sets, especially modern ones, have tons of adjustments that have that the Apple TV has no access to. There are tons of image processing things that happen on the TV itself, and there's nothing you can do to the output from the Apple TV to enable, disable, or adjust those features at all. And if your TV is super duper off, there's nothing the output of your HDMI signal can do to account for that. <laughs> or if it could account for it, it could just make it much worse because if you're Red and your green are super low. The only way it can get it in balance is bringing your blue super low, and now your whole image level is down. And this, It's very, very complicated. All this is to say that you should actually calibrate your television and not calibrate the output of one of your HDMI devices to account for the idiosyncrasies of your television set. So please calibrate your TV if you want to do this. Now, all that said, this Apple thing is probably better than nothing. And if you watch most of your TV through the Apple TV, it might help some but yeah, uh, you know, uh, Quinn Nelson, uh, Snazzy Labs, Snazzy uh, YouTube channel has an upcoming video about the Apple calibration versus a real calibration. I'm really curious to see what he finds. But uh, my uh, my assessment of this Apple calibration thing right now is pretty low. So uh, unless it's this is some very surprising results, I would say please calibrate your television and not just your Apple TV. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. The remote has a slightly rounded back, which I think I had seen before we recorded, but we don't, I don't believe we brought up last time. So that should be nice to at least be able to pick up the correct side facing upwards, which is, which is definitely an improvement. Uh, how do you feel about that, John? 
Yeah, I, I mean, last time I said it had no acknowledgement of human hands. Here's a minor acknowledgement. Now, the Siri remote also had slightly curved sides, so you could pick it up with your fingernails off the table. This one is a more of a uniform sort of uh, U-shape along the entire bottom. It's not sloped enough, and it's not like it's still not going to be, you're going to pick it up or you're going to feel like you're a giant and this is something for a toddler, because that's how small the remote is. But credit or credit as do, they slightly curve the bottom. Indeed. And then Eric Weber writes that the original Siri remote was $80, but it was dropped to 60 with the refreshed white ring when the original Apple TV 4K was int- introduced in 2017. So this remote is not cheaper than the Siri remote. It's only cheaper than the original Siri remote. So that's a shame. <laughs> Uh, there was a big brouhaha over the last several days that the new Siri remote does not have an accelerometer or gyroscope for gaming on the Apple TV, which is a bummer. Yeah, especially since it costs the same amount and it doesn't have a U1 in it, as we discussed last week. So I'm not sure sure where the extra money went. Uh, it's got a smaller touchpad, a similar number of buttons. It's It's made of aluminum instead of being aluminum, glass and metal or whatever the other one was. I don't know. Anyway, I, I don't quite understand why this lacks those features, other than like the touchpad's not big enough to play games with anyway, so why should they bother? Um, but really, if you're going to play games on the Apple TV, you should buy a controller. Uh, you shouldn't use the Siri remote, and apparently you can't use this remote if the games require an accelerometer or a gyroscope. Is anybody playing games on Apple TV? I hope they're not playing them with the remote, if they are. I mean, I guess you could play Crossy Road with the remote. Any, any game that has one button? We did. Like, like when it first came out, we played a lot of Crossy Road, we played Badland, but ultimately, like, we just kind of fell out of favor with the Apple TV as a gaming platform because we tried a bunch of games. I even bought two of the controllers, like, like from two two different branded uh, Apple TV, you know, made MFI controllers, and uh, the gaming scene is just so... It feels like back in the 90s when you bought the wrong system. Like, it feels like, I, you know, you have, like, the 3DO, and you're waiting for good games to come out, and you're like, well, that's there's not a lot here. Well, you're used to that being a Genesis person. Oh, no way. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> it was too easy. I couldn't resist. No, it's more like a 32X. It's like <laughs> you bought the 32X thinking, oh, there's going to be a lot of games for this, and then just nothing happens. Well, if you subscribe to Apple One, you should at least check out Apple Arcade because they just added a whole infusion of uh, games, including, like, a bunch of known good games from the pre-Apple Arcade days, only without ads and an app purchase. So, you know, if you're getting it for free anyway, you might as well check it out. Yeah, so anyway, to come back to this lack of gyroscope and accelerometer, apparently if you try to play a game that requires it and you don't have a uh, a like proper game controller hooked up, it, the uh, app will say, to play this game on your Apple TV, you need to connect the Apple TV remote, parenthesis, first generation, parenthesis, or a compatible PlayStation, Xbox, or MFI controller. If I, if I were to re- read that as a regular person, I wouldn't have a clue what MFI meant. I wouldn't have a clue what Apple TV remote parentheses first That's generation true too. means. Yeah, absolutely. And, the, and there's a note about this that uh, that Apple TV remote is what it's called in countries where Siri is not available on the Apple TV, but otherwise it's called the Siri remote. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but no one knows what like Apple, no one knows what Siri remote first generation is and no one knows what Apple remote first generation is. But people do know what PlayStation Xbox controllers are, so at least they have a fighting chance. <laughs> Uh, somebody Odin wrote in with an interesting point about Apple TV pricing. So as everyone else has been, we've been lamenting the fact that it is a very expensive box to do the sorts of things that it does. And Odin writes, uh, with regard to the pricing, neither comes, neither the, the, the Apple TV doesn't come with an HDMI cable. So you can't even connect it to your TV right out of the box. Meanwhile, Google and Amazon's $30 streaming devices plug directly into an HDMI port. 
neither meaning like the 4K or the HD. Like it, it makes sense if you think about it for a second and you know how big the box is. Of course, there's not an HDMI cable in there. It's this tiny little box. It's just got enough room for the little puck and the remote. Uh, but it's another, <laughs> you'll get it. You'll say like, yay, here's this new Apple TV. Let me hook it up. And you realize unless you already have a spare HDMI cable, unless you disconnect another input and put this one in its place, there's something else you have to buy because, you know, it's just not expensive enough uh, to support mm-hmm. the price of that cable. It's it's pretty crummy. <laughs> Did the Apple TV ever come with an HDMI cable? I don't remember. No, I don't think so. I think it's always maybe maybe the one that was uh, basically a Mac Mini. Do you remember that one? I don't think that had HDMI output. I think that was component. Mm, maybe I never had one. I don't remember. Uh, but no, they never came with HDMI. I, I had one of those. They never came with HDMI cables. Hmm. And yes, the chat room asked. The PS5 does come with an HDMI cable, and it, it's good that it does because PS5 supports HDMI 2.1, and most people don't have uh, an HDMI 2.1 compatible cable just laying around if they haven't bought AV equipment in a while. Correction: It did have HDMI out. <laughs> we we were, we regret. It yeah. also had component. In my defense, yeah. <laughs> it was the one that ran uh, like Mac OS 10.4 or something. Yeah, it, it was. It was basically it was like a little Celeron in there. It was a whole little like low powered like four hundred megahertz Celeron computer or something like that, and a hard drive, right? Uh, yeah, I believe so. It was a little. It was a little Mac. It ran Mac OS. I do not remember this at all. It, it was the one that it basically acted like an iPod. You had to like sync things to it from your Mac, and it was it was all. I think it was introduced <laughs> at the iPhone event in two thousand seven. Was it? Yes, it was, yes, it was. It was like actually. ITV, right? Yeah, it originally was well. I think it was announced as ITV earlier that year, and then but I think they introduced it then as Apple TV because it was introduced. Oh, yeah. It was introduced at one event, or it was like previewed at one event, and then it was. I think it was shown off at the iPhone event. That, anyway, that was, as anyway. as bad as the current crop of Apple TVs are, this one was worse. So just be glad things have improved. For the time, it was really it was really interesting. For the time, TiVo embarrassed it, so I'm not sure. Oh, here we go. <laughs> we need a we need a different sound effect other than a ding for the TiVo. Like you know, like a I don't wah. talk about TiVo much. I'm just saying, back when the the, mm-hmm. the first Apple TV mm-hmm. came out, TiVo was just a thousand times better. Moving right along, uh, John, tell me what is the deal with high frame rate high frame rate HDR anyway? Like what what is the story there? We talked about that as a possible reason that Marco should get the fancy new Apple TV. Oh, don't you want to see high frame rate HDR uh, video, meaning higher than like, you know, 30 frames per second or whatever. Um, and uh, Chris Jennings tells us that apparently, uh, according to his conversations with Apple support, which isn't always exactly correct, but according to these conversations from a theoretically knowledgeable Apple source in Apple support, you can get uh, the high frame rate HDR features on the older Apple TV 4K 2, that it's basically a software feature, not a hardware feature. Now, initially, I thought, well, that can't be the case because only the new Apple TV 4K supports HDMI 2.1, and I know you need HDMI 2.1 to support 120 frames per second and stuff like that, but it turns out that even though the new Apple TV has HDMI 2.1, it only supports uh, up to 4K at 60 frames per second. Even though HDMI 2.1, the standard, can do 4K at 120 frames per second, the fancy new Apple TV doesn't go higher than 60. And the old Apple TV 4K supported HDMI 2.0a, which stops at 4K 60, but I don't know if the old Apple TV 4K before the software update can do 4K 60. So anyway, it's still an open question, but it seems clear that if you're looking for 4K at 120 frames per second from your new Apple TV, it can't currently do that, even though technically the wire coming out of it can support that. Um, I guess we'll just wait to have to get these things in our houses and see if we can play back 4K 60 frame per second HDR video on an old Apple TV 4K with the new TVOS update. But according to Apple support, that is a thing that can happen. 
Um, the other theory I have is that maybe high frame rate HDR via AirPlay requires the new Apple TV and it only works uh, wired or, you know, downloaded to the thing with the, the, the old one. I don't know. It's very confusing. Better get that 64 gig model in case it's only downloaded. <laughs> oh, <goodness. laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. And Apple Care Plus is available for the first time for Apple TV, providing three years of technical support and additional hardware coverage, including up to two incidents of accidental damage protection every 12 months. It's $30 for all of that. Uh, and I, I first thought, why would one want this? But then mm-hmm. it occurred to me when I was uh, still with a true jobby job, there were Apple TVs in like every conference room. And I would assume that this is a corporate thing. No, no, you, for, you forget, or maybe you've been lucky enough not to know this. It's a stupid remote. The Siri remote was covered in glass uh, and people were shattering them all the time. Uh, it's not like your, it's not like <laughs> your Apple TV. It's not like your Apple TV puck is going to get damaged. I hope like it's usually just sitting with the TV or whatever. It's this stupid remote. Now I think the new remote looks much, much sturdier because it's just aluminum and plastic buttons and there's no big glass thing, but I've seen so many pictures of completely shattered, like diving the glass diving board on the Siri remotes. So I just wanted to bring this up just because if you're afraid of that happening or if for some reason you're buying the one that still has the glass remote, you can't actually get Apple Care for it. And I think the only reason this exists is because of all of the people breaking their Siri remote and then being super angry that it costs 60 bucks or in the past 80 bucks to replace the stupid remote that they just broke. That's a good point. I hadn't considered that. The chat room says that the Apple TV remote is not covered by Apple Care or was not covered by Apple Care. I'm assuming this new Apple Care for the Apple TV covers everything. Um, and when they say accidental damage, I'm assuming they may, they include accidental damage to the remote. But if you if you have any questions, ask Apple to make sure before you buy it. But it is only thirty bucks. Why is it very likely that you would accidentally damage the box? <laughs> I mean, I guess if it's on a, in a conference room or being wheeled around on a cart and you drop it and it cracks, I don't know. Maybe you yank out the cable and it breaks the connector. <laughs> I don't know, man. But all I know is it's this coming Friday, which as we record is like a day and a half away that I can finally order a new one. And I am super excited. It is pretty funny, though. Like, like there was, like, I think somebody wrote in to point this out, but like the new one isn't that much better than the outgoing one (laughs) like it's actually most of the newness of it is the new remote which you can now get for all of them or you will be able to get for all of them you know once once the orders go up uh and it's an a12 versus an a10x but like the a10x and a12 are actually not as far apart as you would think and i did uh, read that the a10x has a better gpu than the a12 which i'm not sure that i buy (laughs) but i mean the a12 certainly will be lower power and for doing the same amount of work, I suppose. Yeah, it, it seems like this was an update mostly to the remote. And Apple basically, you know, speed bumped barely the box. And I'm okay with that because <laughs> the remote was the biggest problem. I still, I, I, I'm still amused at how bad the pricing is. but And, and that they still offer two <laughs> capacities. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping that the remote will be good and we will find out. I, I, honestly, though... I don't think I'm even going to buy the new box. I think I'm only going to buy the remotes because I, I, I look at the box. I'm like, well, what's, what am I spending the extra, you know, $120 for the box for? I, I'm not, I'm not really getting a lot for that. I don't think I can understand that real time follow up. They were looking at uh, the apple.com slash support slash product slash Apple TV. And it says the Apple care plus does cover your Apple TV included Siri remote and power cord. It's not called Siri remote anymore. Apple update your page. And up to two incidents of accidental damage. It looks like the remote is covered under the new Apple Care. And one more Apple Care thing here that I snuck in. 
Um, this is not Apple TV related, but apparently now Apple Care Plus coverage for the Mac can be extended beyond three years. You just keep paying for it. So they always had the thing where you can pay like per month, but then you could also pay one lump sum and get the three years. Now at the end of the three years, you can just keep paying, I presume, on a yearly or monthly or whatever plan. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes for more details on this. So if you have a Mac and you're always annoyed that even with the fancy Apple Care Plus, you know, three-year uh, bulk purchase thing. It just ends after three years. Now you can keep paying and keep getting that Apple Care if you want to. That's actually really nice. Um, you know, like I, I would have definitely used that on my iMac Pro. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, people who buy like, you know, really expensive Macs and use them for more than three years, that's a really nice feature. I wonder like how long will it go though? Like there has to be some limit, right? Because they otherwise they would be, like Apple would therefore be on the hook to replace your like seven year old back or something like there's probably some limit they have that time horizon where like the products become like obsolete or something in apple parlance and they're like I'm, I'm sure there is a limit on it but just going past three years is useful and you know the the longer you go the more likely it is you're going to need that coverage so if and if the price doesn't increase which i don't think it does i don't think it increases with time um other than just like the normal sort of inflationary increases of apple care and all their products uh, yeah, it might be a good deal for people if they keep you the Macs for a long time. Hey, going back to the Apple TV for a second, I am going to be placing an order Friday morning. Do I? Why would I spend the extra $20 for the 64 gig one? I'm never going to play games on it. I almost never, I can't remember a time I've ever downloaded anything to this. You, you got to hold all the screensaver video. You know, you joke, but that actually is a reasonable answer because those screensavers are so good. But like, I don't think it's worth 20 bucks to do that, is it? Like, why would I get the big one? I think $20 is so so little for doubling the storage. I just might get it anyway, just for the hell of it. But yeah, I, I have the aerial screensaver on my Mac, and I looked at how big the folder of downloads is, and it's 54 gigs. Yeah, it's big. It is not small, especially for a computer with the monitor you have. So, you know, if you get the 32 gig Apple TV, you certainly won't have all of the screensaver video cached locally. And I know that's going to really pain you. That's <laughs> yeah. interesting. With your actually. gigabit internet connection. You've exactly. Never exactly. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, we'll see what I, we'll see how I feel. But uh, sitting here now, I think I'm just going to get the 32. All right. Moving on to the iMac. Uh, the power brick uh, slash cable, uh, this was brought up, I think I first saw this with Jason Snell. He apparently cut a, I think it was a two meter uh, string and hung it off the back of his standing desk while it was in standing mode. And he said that the power brick would probably be dangling in the air uh, because the two meters isn't quite enough for his particular standing desk, which is kind of a bummer. What is this meters business? Analog is affecting you. We're talking about feet here, okay? <laughs> Sorry, John. Two meters is not the same thing as six feet. Um yeah, so Jason did bring this up when he was trying to see, you know, in my standing desk, if I had a six-foot cord coming out of the back of my iMac, would the brick reach the ground or would the brick be dangling in midair? And his measurements indicated that the, the power brick would kind of be dangling in midair, which is not ideal. Um, he did an interview uh, on, on Upgrade with the Apple folks and brought this exact issue up and said, hey, uh, it's a six-foot cord. I just measured that won't be quite long enough for my setup. How did you come up with six feet? And the Apple people said, oh, well, we looked at all different setups and we came out that we thought this was the blah, blah, blah. But like Jason had got, just got done telling them, it's like, well, this may fit like like uh, the AirPods fit the average ear, but not fitting Marco's ear. Uh, this may be sort of the sweet spot for satisfying the most people, but it doesn't work in Jason's setup. And I don't think Jason's, you know, because Apple acknowledged standing desks. It's not like they, they didn't think about standing desks. They did, but Jason's not that tall and his desk is not that high. So I feel like they may, they, you know, Put an extra six inches to a foot on this cord would probably be beneficial for people who use standing desks. You know, it would be a lot more beneficial for people who use standing desks. Why are you running more than one cable off the desk? 
Oh, yes. You love to Velcro things to the bottom of your desk. Here we go. Yes. <laughs> Somehow zip tie or otherwise attach a surge strip under your desk to the mm-hmm. underside of your desk. Plug everything on your desk into that. Tie up all the loose you know, cable excess so it's nice and tidy somewhere. And then run one cable or maybe two if you include Ethernet from that area of your desk down one of the lifting legs or whatever you can have it run down cleanly to the outlet. And then you can have a huge amount of slack in that second you know cable grouping of you know just the ethernet and power coming out of the desk and all the stupid little short cables you can plug into the underside of your desk and have everything nice and tidy so this is a setup for people who have more than just the imac on their desk but part of the beauty of having the single cable coming out of your imac like you don't even need ethernet back there and everything like that's i think if you just have an imac in a lone scenario like that you don't need the whole power strip underneath the desk. Maybe you just have the one cord. And maybe those people don't use standing desks. I don't know. I'm just saying, like, it's the fact that it's so close to working with a standing desk but just needs a few more inches seems like they could fix that in a subsequent revision. Uh, the second thing to know about the power brick is we were speculating about, hey, they could have used USB-C because USB-C, can, USB-C power delivery can do 100 watts. Apparently, the power brick is rated for 143 watts. Now, that doesn't mean the iMac or any of the iMacs they introduced – uh, you know, in the in the Apple event, will actually ever consume 143 watts, but that's what the brick is rated for. So maybe Apple knows something we don't. Maybe they're just trying to have one brick and reuse it. Uh, you know, maybe they're thinking ahead because the next version might use more power than this one did. I don't know. But either way, uh, the bricks makes me think that Apple thinks that 100 watts is not sufficient for the system, either in the present or the future. It's interesting. Uh, tell me about Visa Bounce because apparently you can flip flop, sort of. Kind of. Yeah, we didn't. We, I don't know if we mentioned Visa mounts at all, but just FYI, like the like the old style iMacs, these new colored ones, uh, you can also get them with a Visa mount. If you don't like the non-adjustable little foot, you can get a Visa mount on the back and then put it on whatever arm or stand or anything else you have that supports Visa. Uh, and apparently, according to Jason Snell, you can call Apple Care and if you buy a Visa mount iMac and say, I don't want the Visa mount anymore, can you swap it for the foot version? Now, no idea how much that would cost. Obviously, it would cost you some money. I assume they just replaced the entire back of the computer. Uh, But the good thing is the computer is basically a giant iPad anyway. And so the back is just like the entire big back shell. And maybe it's it's an easy repair. I don't know. But it's nice to know that you're not stuck with the Visa mount permanently if you buy one and then change your mind later. Indeed. And then someone wrote in to ask, uh, hey, does anyone else wish to that they would add the Ethernet port to all Mac-powered adapters? For example, the notebooks would be nicer than a dongle. Uh, don't we all want that? <laughs> or is it just me? I guess not literally just me. but I mean, it depends on your setup. I can see the appeal because we don't like dongles, right? And you have to have the power brick with you anyway. And there's plenty of room on the power brick for the Ethernet connector. But on the other hand people tend not to like to crawl around under their desk and plug things in. And with an iMac, it's not a big deal. You do it once. It's a desktop. You set it up and you're done. But with a notebook, you're bringing it from place to place. Maybe if you had multiple power adapters in the house and you could set up the Ethernet at once and just have the power cord kind of stick it up on your desk, it would be cool. I can see the appeal. And maybe that is Apple's plan. Again, they made a 143-watt adapter. Maybe this adapter will also come with some other future computer. But the tricky bit is you need to route Ethernet to the power brick and all of apple's current power bricks don't do that in terms i don't think they even have the right number of conductors i think they're just power from the power brick i'm not entirely sure but my impression is that from the power brick, uh, that's not entirely true they support only usb2 transfer speeds though so like whatever apple labels as a charge cable for usb-c it, it can be used as data but not for usb3 speeds 
Yeah, and so, of course, you know, they could put they could put out an adapter that would support this. Uh, the other wrinkle in this, and we're not going to talk about this week, but there's a bunch of uh, leaks from some ransomware attack on a manufacturer that show supposedly show the rumored MacBook Pros uh, with all the things that we talked about in past shows: SD card slot and MagSafe and HDMI. Yeah, and HDMI. Right? If it's if if those things end up having MagSafe. Of course, Apple can do whatever it wants with this, whatever this new MagSafe is, but that would mean that they would need to route Ethernet through the MagSafe adapter along with power down the power cable to the power brick where the supposed Ethernet port is. So I think there's some merit to this idea, but it seems complicated enough that unless Apple is really married to it, that they're, you know, especially if they're going to MagSafe, it just seems simpler for them to just bring back MagSafe as just a power thing and then continue to rely on dongles for everything else. Yeah, and if you actually want a single cable solution, I would assume and hope that if this new, you know, MagSafe based MacBook Pro thing is real, or even if it isn't, you know, assuming future MacBook Pros might have MagSafe, I would hope that they would also still be able to charge via USB C PD. And if that's the case, then people who want a single cable solution, but some kind of port expansion, can continue to use like Thunderbolt docks and stuff and still have just one cable running to the computer that also charges it. Yeah, I will be, even even though I think MagSafe would be great to bring back for notebooks, it will bum me out ever so slightly if USB-C power delivery goes away, you know, if it's if it's one or the other, not both. And, and especially since we're all approaching this, like, USB-C uh, lifestyle where everything is USB-C. I mean, there's so much of my life other than my iPhone that is USB-C, and just having a USB-C dongle sitting around can power, you know, my iPad, my computer, my drone, etc., my my switch. And and man, it would really stink if MagSafe got introduced, reintroduced, which would be excellent, and then they said, "Well, that's the only way you can charge now." Tough noogies. That would really bum me out. Yeah, agreed. And I I hope and I bet they would probably keep both. One would hope and one would think. All right, and then finally, uh, Eric Berlin, Berlin writes, what's the benefit of having four high-efficiency cores in a system without a battery like the iMac or Mac Mini? Aside from economies of scale, do you expect there to be a split between desktop and laptop versions and of future Apple M-series systems on a chip? I mean, one silly answer is it's just more efficient. Like, as silly as that sounds, but why run a, you know, higher wattage core and, and why expend all that energy if you don't have to? I mean, I know that's that's kind of silly, but does add up over time, doesn't it? I mean, it makes sense from more than just an electric bill perspective. It's, uh, uh, you know, you know me, it's all about fan noise, right? Um, mm. If you can use, you know, most of the time your Mac is not doing much if you're not running some big, you know, hard task in the background that's using lots of cores. So from moment to moment, those efficiency cores are getting a ton of use because especially when you're just sitting there reading text on a web page, there's probably, hopefully, unless you're running Chrome with a bunch of terrible tabs in the background, no need for the high efficiency cores to be enabled at all. And if you can just use the efficiency cores or one or two of the efficiency cores, it uses less power, yes. And that means less heat and that means less fan noise. Um, now, Eric is right that like the reason they're using it is because like this is the architecture they have and you know they're not going to... You know, the, I, it's not apparently we, we now know the answer. Is it worth it for them to make for the low end iMac an entirely different chip, even though the current M1 fits fine? No, not worth it to them. They could have made a chip without efficiency cores and with like six, you know, uh, high performance cores or something. Right. And that would be extra expense. And maybe they would get a little bit of benefit. But for the low end iMac, it was not worth it. So, yes, economies of scale. There are many different computers you can wrap around the M1 and the iMac is one of them. And it's perfectly fine for that. And as a bonus. 
less fan noise, less heat, less electricity. Probably less electricity is non-measurable, but I imagine the less heat and less fan noise is something that they could actually measure. So I'm glad that efficiency cores exist. And I think there's a place for efficiency cores on every single one of their desktop computers, even the big giant Mac Pro that they eventually make with umpteen cores or whatever. It's okay to have some efficiency cores in there because sometimes the Mac Pro is not doing anything that big either. And that brings us to another computer that has uh, an M1 and it's that, that as its core, and that is the iPad. And so there's some follow-up we need to talk about with regard to the iPad, starting with the front-facing camera. Tell me about that. We did, I think we missed this entirely uh, in the event show. There was so much stuff. But uh, Apple talked about center stage, which is their way to use the new 12-megapixel front-facing wide camera on the new iPads to take a very wide view of what's in front of them, but then crop it to show the area of interest when doing like video conference type things. And they showed it with like, with one person in the picture, it will center on them. And then when more people come, it will expand the image. Now the camera doesn't move. It's not like it's actually zooming optically. It's not pivoting from side to side. It is merely taking different crops and doing image processing, you know, using the, using the software to do some smarts. And obviously the crops are going to be lower resolution than the full 12 megapixels, but apparently there's enough pixels to go around to make this work especially for like a FaceTime thing. So it looks like a very cool feature. And the other thing to know about it is that this feature is actually available to other people through an API. So if you have any kind of third-party app and you want to start taking video from the front-facing camera, apparently there's an API that you can just tell it, please do that center stage thing where you look for people's faces and try to include them, which is very nice of them to include. Although, honestly, I'm not sure what other apps people use for doing video conferencing on the iPad Besides FaceTime and I guess Zoom, maybe? But do people use Zoom on the iPad? I guess so. Yeah. You know. Well, Declan spends several hours a day in Teams on the iPad. Oh, in Teams? Seriously? Mm, oh, yep. my God. I didn't even think about that. Shouldn't, children shouldn't be subjected to Teams. No, it is <laughs> bad. It is real bad well, on the iPad. I hope those apps do use those features, though, because that is a problem, especially with an iPad where you're trying to, like, prop it up at the right angle and make sure you get everyone in the picture like doing you know well mostly for me it's doing family facetime calls but i suppose for you know other things that are not family and maybe you're using teams or what do you call it webex or uh you know zoom or whatever so that's cool and worth mentioning indeed hey john how much uh, ram do you have in your ipad we we noted this on the event show, but I we didn't really emphasize, right? So yes, the iPad comes with two different amounts of RAM. But the most important thing is Apple lists those two different amounts of RAM on their web pages and in their promotional material. For the first time, the amount of RAM in an iPad is not a secret that Apple won't tell you, even though everybody <laughs> knows what it is. They actually use it in their advertising material. It's on their slides. Up to 16 gigabytes of memory. We should all if we were there live, we all should have gasped and said, oh, the iPad has memory? <laughs> I thought it just had storage. All these years, if we've just been buying iPads based on storage, now you're going to tell me there's memory? Yeah, it's like when they change from iOS firmware, uh, from iPhone firmware to uh, you know iOS. It's like, oh, the uh, iPhone has an operating system? I thought it just had firmware. <laughs> it's like a, you know, a secret. So I like this. Obviously, this is just on the Pro models. I think they still don't talk about RAM on the lesser iPad models, but... See, Apple, nothing bad happens if you talk about RAM. We all know it's in there, and we have to figure out what it is anyway eventually. It's just annoying that it's not on your product pages, and now it finally is, at least for the pros. So speaking of iPad Pros, apparently 
the new 12.9 inch iPad Pro, specifically the 12.9, won't work with the original $350 Magic Keyboard. So it's just a bit thicker than the last one was. And because of that, officially speaking, it is not compatible with the Magic Keyboard that came out before this new one existed. However, if you were to buy a Magic Keyboard today, it is compatible with every iPad that has ever been compatible with the Magic Keyboard. Yeah, that's a shame. Uh, but I still think they made the, the right move. Uh, some people were saying, oh, but didn't you know how thick the new 12.9 inch iPad would be when you made the original Magic Keyboard? I think it's conceivable that no, they didn't. Maybe they were shooting for, oh, it'll be the same width. But you know, we talked about the screen tech in this this new 12.9 inch iPad with the, you know, 2,500 different zones and 10,000 LEDs. Uh, that screen is amazing and it's worth putting on the highest of the high-end iPad. And if they had to make it 0.5 millimeters thicker to pull that off at the cost of breaking compatibility with their very expensive Magic Keyboard, I still think that's the right move because this is the most expensive iPad with the highest end, you know, you can get it 16 gigs of RAM and two terabytes of storage and all that stuff. Obviously not ideal. I don't think Apple planned this. I think they probably tried to make it exactly the same size and they just couldn't quite get it. And if the choice was between this screen and being compatible with the Magic Keyboard, I'd take the screen any day. So it's a bummer, but I think the right move. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm surprised and happy that they haven't changed the keyboard size for the 11-inch. I mean, this is like, this is the longest they've ever gone, if, if you're an 11-inch customer. This is the longest you've ever been able to carry any peripherals forward. You know, like, normally, if you were buying a new iPad Pro, or, you know, you would have to buy a new keyboard, you know, possibly even a new pencil, depending on when you bought it, if you use the pencil or not. <laughs> like, and those and those things are so expensive. They, you know, they add up pretty pretty quickly. So this is actually a, a, a nice, you know, constant period here where, you, like, if I bought a new iPad, which honestly I'm not going to, but if I bought a new iPad, I would still be able to use my same keyboard from two years ago. Yeah, and, and people who are second guessing this, like, it's helpful to think about the other scenarios that could have happened. Which is, let's say they're targeting to make it exactly the same width, and they 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 build one and they say, here it is with the new screen and the you know the new guts, and it's exactly the same dimensions as the old one, and they have some kind of problem. Oh, it's like overheating in this area, or this thing is very close to shorting out, or there's some other problem, and they say, well. You know, the only way we can solve this is to make the thing half a millimeter thicker to give a little bit more breathing room. And everyone's like, oh, well, that's going to break compatibility with, with the thing. You would much rather have them make the thing thicker than to say, well, let's, let's just shove it in there and just hope for the best. Because whatever the problem may be with overheating or shorting or compressing or bulging or causing discoloration on the screen because of stress, you don't want any of those problems. And if, if that was the reality and they said, well, they did that because if they didn't do that, the keyboard wouldn't work. You'd be saying, what a ridiculous notion. Who cares that the keyboard works? I don't I just want my iPad to work. I don't even have that keyboard. This is absolutely the right move. It's a bummer. But sometimes that happens when you're pushing the envelope, which I feel like apple is with this with this tab don't call it a tablet ipad that is just tremendously fast and has an amazing screen on it indeed last week we were talking about uh potential uses for air tags which actually speaking of before we get to this follow-up uh marco did you order any air tags you can order them yeah Oh, yes, that's right. I did. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sorry. Are you feeling well, bud? Fever's setting no, in. A little warm. <laughs> no, it's just, I forgot. Yes, I did. I did order a four pack. Um, it's coming on whatever day one is, which I think is, is it this Friday? Uh, it's either this or next, I think. I don't recall, to be honest with you. So yeah. the reason yeah, so I'll have it next Monday. <laughs> all right. The, the reason I don't recall is because I ordered a one pack, which at the time was delivering in like mid-May. 
And I thought about getting a four pack, but I don't even know what I'm using one for. So it seems silly to buy four just on a lark. Uh, but uh, I, I did order one and it'll be here several weeks after your four pack is. <laughs> John, what about you? What did you order, if any? Didn't order any because I still can't think of what I'm going to use it for. Um, you know, so I'll, I'll listen to your reports and what it's like to have a little plastic puck. It is kind of, kind of, you know, I would have been very surprised if you would have told me before the Apple event that the only things I would buy as a result of this Apple event were AirTags and a new Apple TV remote. <laughs> but that's honestly like that's what I'm in. I'm in, the, I'm in this for those things. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, so anyway, so we were asking, you know, what would we use these for? And something that I had thought of, but I didn't say on the show, this was not Marco's fault this time. I definitely did not say it out loud. Uh, and this was also provided to us by Jameson on Twitter. Uh, a use case for AirTags, watching your luggage work its way back to you at the carousel at the airport. Now, I vaguely remember where airports are, and I vaguely remember what luggage is, but nevertheless, uh, that is a very good use case for it. Another thing that a few people have suggested, including just now in the chat, is you know placing it in or around a favorite stuffed animal from a child. Because if you're a parent, you know, especially when they're young, they have that special stuffed animal that if they lose that stuffed animal oh, your next week, two month is going to be terrible. So a lot of people are saying they're thinking about sewing one in the animal or putting it, you know, around the animal or whatever the case may be. And again, I'm talking about a stuffed if animal. You put it, if you put it inside the animal, though, your kids will just tear it open and pull out the stuffing and get that thing out and then just destroy it. Probably, probably. But nevertheless, that's another idea. <laughs> if your kids are dogs. I would say <laughs> also like on the, on the, you know, following your luggage through the airport thing, I'm not, we don't know yet how frequently the location is updated and what kind of range they have in practice yet. I would wait, if if that's the kind of use case you have in mind, I would maybe wait and see how these things actually perform in reality. I mean, I'm assuming people are expecting that to be in U1 range by that point. Like, that you're not... That, like, you're not looking to say, like, which baggage carousel is in it. You just wanted to know, like... Is it coming off the thing now or whatever? I, again, yeah, I, you're right. Someone would have to test it, but I'm I'm guessing that this use case is only useful when you're within U1 range. And I don't know what U1 range is, but certainly it's less than the uh, passerby had Bluetooth on range. Yeah, I, I would expect it to be something like 30 feet, you know, because it's Bluetooth based. And yeah, so I'm, I'm guessing it's something like that, but I, I wouldn't expect it to be like. Yeah. I, and you don't need this for Boston's Logan, Boston, uh, Boston's Logan Airport. You don't need this AirTag thing at all, because I can just tell you just get a chair your luggage is not coming out for an hour <laughs> <laughs> well that's what you get for living in boston hey all right moving right along uh something that i think all of us knew but again did not say actually on the show is one of the problems with apple's premium po- podcast offering is what if you don't have an iphone tough nuggies yeah we were talking about who who are you excluding by you know using this apple premium podcast and we talked mostly about hey if any of your listeners don't use the Apple Podcast app, they have to start using it because that's the only way to listen to your show if if it's a Apple Premium podcast. But many people are going to say, and yeah, what about all the people who don't even have iPhones? Of course, they can't use Apple Podcasts and they can't listen to your show at all. And there's tons of those people. One of the reasons I didn't mention this was something that I should have mentioned when we talked about the Premium Podcast is I, I'm basing this on nothing, but my my impression and hunch is that Apple is at least considering the notion of making Apple Premium Podcasts available on Android. I know this seems weird to you, but I i mean, I just assumed that they would eventually make it available on Android, and then I saw everyone else thinking that they never would. It just seems like, like Apple Music, like a sort of audio service type thing, 
I know Apple doesn't do a lot of things on other platforms. They made Safari for Windows and then gave up on it or whatever. But like Apple Premium Podcast for Android does not seem like a ridiculous thing to me. Now, obviously, they don't have that now. So don't, you know, don't assume it is going to exist. But I don't know if you two feel the same way. It just seems to me that it's not such a ridiculous notion. No, I don't think it's a ridiculous notion. It, it would take a lot of motivation, though. You know, like the reason why Apple brought Apple Music to Android, they did, right? That's the thing they actually did? Yep, yeah. I believe so. <laughs> I, we've never talked about it like after they did it, so I, I kind of forgot. But I mean, it's, it's like Safari on Windows. When it went away, it probably took a while for me to realize it went away because who uses <laughs> Safari on Windows? But, <laughs> right. Yeah. So I don't know how well Apple Music on Android would be doing, but... The reason they did that is because Apple Music is a massive service that brings in significant revenue like into their services division and everything. Premium podcasts, I don't think, I mean, I could be wrong, but the way they've launched at least their version of premium podcasts, I don't see that becoming anywhere near the size of Apple Music as a business. And therefore, I think there would be a lot less financial motivation for them to invest into the engineering of that. Um, you know, the Apple Music or the Apple Podcasts app is not just a big web view. It's a whole bunch of native code in there. And so it would be substantial work for them to bring over that that app as its own thing. Uh, so I just, I don't see it happening, honestly. I mean, it really de- it kind of depends a little bit on the competitive landscape. Not that we're probably not going to have time to talk about it this episode, but Spotify's new premium podcast move uh, is an interesting counter to what Apple has done and is different in all sorts of ways. And, you're right, it's mostly small potatoes and the safe bet is that they're not going to do it, but it, they might eventually see it as a strategic thing that they have to do just to keep Spotify at bay. It also depends on how all of the antitrust stuff related to Spotify and other stuff turns out. So all I'm saying is that, uh, you know, this is right, that you are excluding people who have Android, but that, uh, I, you know, I don't think it's completely ridiculous that Apple might someday put their premium podcast on Android. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I think it depends a lot on like, how well is Apple Music doing on Android? <laughs> like, I, I, I've never heard of anybody using it. I, I'm sure there are some people who do, but I would bet it's not a substantial market for them. I mean, And I think one of the big reasons that Apple Music exists on Android is, interestingly, as a counter to Spotify, not in the podcast space, obviously, just in the plain old music space. And I think you're probably right that it's maybe not doing that well on Android. But like, why does it exist at all? You said it's because Apple Music is a big business. I think a big part of it is also because spotify is there and if we're going to compete with spotify kind of like the apple tv thing if we're gonna yeah. if we're gonna compete at all we can't be stingy and say oh it's only on apple platforms it's like if you're gonna if you're gonna be some kind of service type thing you've got to be everywhere yeah maybe I mean, and, and part of it also it might just be as simple as like apple music was born out of beats music and beats music was available on android so maybe they had an easier path to get there maybe like maybe they didn't have to build as much as we think they had to build from scratch for that they should give android the old podcast app with the reel to reel tape yeah, that'd be <laughs> great. That? Yeah, from iOS 5. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That would be funny. All right. John, do you want to tell me about your Eero and Smart Outlet situation, please? This, this is so long ago. I don't know if people still remember. Um, I did a whole big Rectifs episode about it, so I'm not going to go into too much detail. But uh, to catch everyone up, I, I had filled around with my network and made my Eero my router and got rid of an Airport Extreme. And everything worked except for my Smart Outlet, which was completely invisible. And I was trying to debug it and couldn't figure out what the deal was. Here's what eventually worked. Why did it work? Unknown. But here's what eventually worked. The, it was a suggestion I got from two different places. Merlin suggested that I do this, and I didn't follow his suggestion. <laughs> and then I got the same suggestion from a, a person at the Smart Outlet Company. 
And the reason I did it when the person in the Smart Outlet company said it was not because like, oh, I trust that person more than Merlin, but it was simply because I needed to respond to their email. And when I respond to any kind of email where people give debugging suggestions, I have to tell them, I tried your suggestions and here were the results, like truthfully. And one of their suggestions was hardware reset the outlet, which I had done many, many times before. But I had not, you know, this is two different ways to reset. It's like a soft reset and a factory reset, depending on how long you hold down the little buttons or whatever. I had not factory reset the new outlet, the one, the new one that I bought <laughs> that just came out of the box. Now, you may be thinking, why would you need to factory reset an outlet that you just brand new took out of a box that's never been on your network? Like, is, that's never even been seen by anything on your network that is invisible. Like, I, you know, I haven't even been able to attempt to connect it because every time I do, it says looking for devices, can't find anything, right? But that's what I did. I factory reset the new outlet and it just joined right up and worked perfectly. <laughs> right? Oh, my goodness. Now, here, here are the theories we've got uh, behind this. Um, one theory is that there is, for apparently for this brand of smart outlet, there is a server-side component uh, associated with your account because uh, I think you have to sign into your account to use their iOS app. And uh, the person at the smart outlet company says, we deleted, like, all your data on our server-side. Uh. So, you know, we've all, like, maybe that was a factor, right? The second thing is, and this is something I didn't know, and it's I just don't know the details of it, that apparently uh, HomeKit devices can only be in provisioning mode, like where they're ready to be like added to your network or whatever, for a limited amount of time. And I think it's like a security thing. Like you don't want to allow them to be in provisioning mode indefinitely because you could like put some put something in provisioning mode and like your neighbors accidentally pick it up a week after you tried to connect it and they connect it to their thing, right? So there's some kind of time limit as part of the HomeKit spec if you want to be a HomeKit compliant device. You can only be in provisioning mode for a limited amount of time, after which you need to do some kind of reset to get them out of that. And maybe this particular smart outlet needs a factory reset after it has reached its provisioning mode time limit. And I can tell you that if there is a time limit, I'm surely past it because I've been trying to add these things to my network for, you know, days and days, just constantly having them and like ready to be added to your network. Make sure this light is blinking, right? So those are the theories. Server side or it was stuck in provisioning mode too long and timed out. But whatever it is, a factory reset of the brand new thing made it work. And now I have the old one, which I have no use for. It's just sitting here. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it. I haven't even tried to connect it. But now I'm just not touching anything because my network, everything's on my network, <laughs> just like I want it to be. I haven't had any of that Teams problem. And all my Teams meeting at work, I have yet to you know have the problem recur, although it hasn't been a month yet. But so far, so good. My networking house is in order. <laughs> That's good. I'm very glad yeah. for you. Don't touch it. Yeah, don't definitely don't touch it. I'd actually like to um, make a brief request for help. Um, I, in the process of doing this screened in porch, selected, I don't remember talking about this on the show, but I selected two not cheap ceiling fans in order to put in the screened in porch. Uh, and there was a little bit of a disagreement as to whether or not these not cheap ceiling fans were worth the money that we spent. And one of the things I wanted to do with these ceiling fans was use them with Lutron Caseta uh, switches. And I thought I was buying the appropriate kind of fan in order to use them with Lutron Caseta switches. And it turns out I did not. And many, many hours of investigation and fiddling about later, what I've realized is these particular fans use some sort of proprietary radio frequency controller. So there is something in the wall 
Um, and it is connected to the fan, but the actual commands to go on, off, or different speeds or whatever are radio frequency. And what I'd like to do is figure out a way to get that on HomeKit. These fans are Kickler fans, K-I-C-H-L-E-R. Uh, the Kickler doesn't seem to believe that HomeKit exists or even Alexa or anything like it. So if you have a way that you are aware of that you can make a RF device talk HomeKit, please let me know, Casey List on Twitter, or you can find my contact information on my website. I'd love to know, because I've been looking at this Broadlink uh, RM4 IR and RF Universal Remote, which I guess is basically it's supposed to just, you know, emit IR or RF uh, in order to control things that really you're not supposed to be able to control. And I'm looking at this, but I don't know if it's going to work with the appropriate frequencies, blah, blah, blah. So I, I will stop here. But just uh, if you've experienced anything like this, please let me know. I would love to know about it. Our, I think, final bit of follow-up? No, uh, yeah, our final section of follow-up is with regard to Marco's refusal to believe that there's anything other than Tesla superchargers in the world. Uh, <laughs> and friend of the friend of the show, Sam Wellsamid of the Wheel Bearings podcast, wrote in to say that uh, Tesla accounted for about two-thirds of EV sales in the U.S. in the last year. Uh, but according to Sam, whose job is to know these sorts of things, uh, that share is likely to shrink significantly in 2021 and beyond. There's lots of new competitors arriving this year next from all the legacy brands. Uh, and then moving on, Sam writes for distribution, there are currently 3,440 CCS, which I believe is the connector type DC fast charger locations with 6,534 actual outlets. So about 3,500 locations with about 6,500 outlets across the United States. There are 1,000 supercharger locations, so about a third as many locations. However, they have about 10,000 outlets, so about twice as many outlets. Uh, so Tesla has fewer, loca fewer locations, but more chargers per station. Uh, something I don't think we've mentioned on the show is that Electrify America was um, done in part because uh, Volkswagen was compelled to fund it as a result of Dieselgate. Uh, and Electrify America was the first network to implement the plug and charge standard, which allows drivers to set up one account for their compatible vehicles. So uh, Ford, Volkswagen, Mercedes, Lucent, Rivian have all announced support and more coming, and then they let you just plug it in, and then it authenticates and starts charging just like a supercharger. And we'll put a link in the show notes to a list of all the chargers and networks uh, and whatnot at the Department of, Energy, Department of Energy website for the United States. Do you want to jump in here, Marco? Because I know you have some yeah. feedback or do you want to yeah, plow forward? A, a okay. quick little thing on this point. Um, so my car is still in the body shop, still, and they haven't even been able to start to work, work on it because insurance companies are apparently terrible. Uh, but Neat. So it's been almost a month and they haven't actually started working on it yet because of my insurance company. So that's okay. I mean, I, I guess it was my fault for going with the totally fly-by-night insurance company Allstate. Ah, I also use Allstate, and they well, you are... You don't get to be a big insurance company by just giving out money for free. <laughs> insurance company does not want to pay a lot for this muffler. Yeah, <laughs> nice. <laughs> anyway, so um, so we st we're still driving around the I-3, uh, and we had an opportunity to stop and supercharge, and I used... I, I specifically sought out an Electrify America location, because there was one kind of near where we were going, uh, and so we we were down to about... 30 something percent on the i3 we stopped off it was it looked almost like a supercharger you know they had these big you know glowing white bays across the back of this mall parking lot there were there were eight plugs in this location um so it looked pretty nice and it was it was a pretty good experience it was significantly nicer than the um the charge point one that i had used before 
and it was super easy. You, we, I, I walked up to the thing, and I, I plugged it into the car, and they have they had a little credit card contactless slash you know chip reader on the front. So I just did Apple Pay on the front of it. I didn't have to make an account. I didn't have to do anything. All I had to do was Apple Pay with my credit card, uh, you know, Apple Pay with, with my phone rather. Um, wave it in front of their little reader. Beep. It started up, and then I was able to watch both in my car and also on their screen. They had a giant glowing screen to show my car's charge level. I guess the car communicates its charge level back through the CCS connector to the charger. Um, so it was able to give me a time estimate. It was able to give me a percentage readout and everything. I, I, uh, it allowed you to type in a phone number and it would text you updates. Um, that way, like in oh, case you wanted cool. to leave and go inside the mall or whatever, you know, you could, you could do that and see when it's done. And uh, overall, it cost me about 10 bucks to charge from... Uh, something like 30% to about 90%. Um, I mean, this is not a, a large range car. That's you know, that's that's something like 100 miles of range. Uh, but it was it was about a half hour. Like, not really not bad at all. It, it was a surprisingly nice supercharger competitive experience. Uh, and if every DC fast charger was as nice as the Electrify America ones, uh, then I think that would be a really nice world to get to. I don't think we're there yet, and I think it's going to be a while before we get there. But when and if that that kind of world arrives for the non-Tesla, uh, you know, charging needs, that will be very nice and very compelling. So I really enjoyed it. It was it was very nice to use, and I would gladly use it again. Um, however, again, when I when I look for things like this in in the areas I travel, the Tesla superchargers are still like they're still better coverage of the areas I go, and they're in more convenient locations. You know, many, uh, uh, kind of an an underappreciated part of charger location selection is, well, what can you do during the half hour that you're waiting there? If it's in like a travel plaza or something like off the highway, that's great, because then you can can park your car. And the thing is, like, you're only going to be charging there for maybe a half hour to 40 minutes. You can't do something that's going to take you two hours. You can't like watch a movie or anything like in, in a movie theater, but you also don't want it to just be like in in the back of an empty parking lot where there's nowhere to even within walking distance that you could eat, re- really meaningfully go. Uh, so you want something to do, and I like the travel plaza kind of situation because then like you can go in, use the bathroom, order food, you know, maybe have some have a quick snack, you know, get get a crappy coffee at Starbucks, go out to your car, and it's pretty much time. Tesla seems to be significantly better at least with the more recent round of superchargers significantly better at choosing good locations that actually give you some reasonable way to use your 40 minutes that you're going to have while sitting there um so that's one thing that so far the the non-tesla fast chargers around here uh, are not super great at but i mean that could just be a regional difference but anyway it's something to look at like when you're looking when you're comparing if you're if you're looking at electric cars if you're comparing the charging networks you definitely have to I think look at like which ones you're likely to use and like where they actually are, what kind of environment they're actually in, because uh, that that matters a lot. Like Sam said, though, this is changing rapidly because all the EVs from all the car companies are coming out pretty fast and furious now. And most of them, granted, are not actual cars; they're stupid SUV things. But there's a ton of them, um, and Electrify America and all the other sort of car brand charging networks are just going to be expanding extremely rapidly and it's not just one company doing it, it's multiple companies doing it so i expect this to be a very dynamic situation in fact i was surprised to see there was three times as many uh ccs dc fast chargers because this is trying to compare like to like and not just say like any old thing but the dc fast chargers um and i'm also surprised to see that 
a bunch of car brands like we talked about this one the let me get the pronunciation right because i saw a video uh tycon (laughs) nice they they have two syllables in their word and neither one of them is pronounced the way that an english speaker would expect them to say but porsche has a a youtube video that says tie like a uh yeah necktie and then con like the opposite of pro um tycon which has this 800 volt system that allows it to charge faster and stuff i recently saw uh review of the new uh, hyundai uh ionic 5 which is another you know ding, uh, suv type thingy or whatever and i think it has an 800 volt system too and it's not a fancy car like it's you know it's it's competing with like it's competing with the you know mainstream suvs right it's you know it's, it's more expensive than a gas suv but still it's not a hundred thousand dollar car and those 800 volt systems uh can charge a lot faster so the amount of time that you spend at the chargers may actually be decreasing assuming we can get these 800 volt like whatever it is 250 kilowatt or whatever i I get confused with battery specs for laptops um (laughs) if those start to uh, proliferate um and the other thing i'll say about your charging experience is your car doesn't even have the plug and charge thing that we were talking about here which is just like you don't have to do any of that stuff you just plug the thing in i mean that's what that's what this feedback says is that you just plug it in and somehow it knows who you are based on the fact that you plug the car into it because you had set up an account with electrify america beforehand and that's the best experience because when you fill up your car with gas i mean i guess you have to pay with your phone or whatever but like just be able to pull up to one of those things take the plug out shove it into your car and walk away and get all those features that you describe without even having to activate apple pay or tap it uh that's pretty cool although i do wonder like i've been watching a lot of videos about electric cars because there's so many of them coming out and most of them don't appeal to me at all but a lot of them have i mean i guess we'll get to this in the next feedback interesting integrations with their various power supply things like uh, you know their their sort of charging network integrations in the car integrations outside the car like you said the thing where it texts you to see how how filled up your thing is or whatever so i wonder if those features will end up being differentiators or if we will kind of settle on one feature set kind of like gas pumps there's a million gas companies around here but the feature set of gas pumps in the u.s has always kind of like coalesced around a standard feature set uh if there was any moment where like you know mobile speed pass came out and for a little while they didn't want to have it eventually that stuff like that spreads everywhere so it'll be interesting to see that play out with uh, electric charging stations as well in speaking of very expensive cars a friend of the show dave, dave nanian writes with regard to charging station integrations you know each each car vendor either owns a charging network or partners with one and at least with volkswagen audi and porsche the charger location routing availability etc is fully integrated into the nav system uh, i'm assuming much like tesla in the hold on let me see if i can do this in the tycon and uh, i'm sure this is true of others writes dave nanian uh, if i plan a trip it automatically routes me through chargers not just in network ones and it tells me how long to charge for and adjust during the trip if conditions change. It's just like the Tesla, basically, except the DC fast chargers, while fewer in number, can go up to 350 kilowatts, and I can charge from 5 to 80% in 22 minutes. Uh, Dave admits that that's sometimes in a Walmart parking lot, which is kind of crummy. But nevertheless, it's fast, which is great. Another cool thing about the 800-watt system and the new uh, Hyundai, one of the features they're advertising is you can use it to charge another electric car. <laughs> so you so you can drive over to them and just plug your thing like if they run out of charge somewhere you can go there and and charge them up on it that's interesting that's that would actually be really nice for um like like a like a towing company to have some of those in their fleet so if you have like an ev that gets totally dead and stranded on the side of the road you could just drive this to them because you can't because you can't bring a gas can right, right yeah exactly <laughs> That actually, that actually is a really good feature. <laughs> yeah, and, and what you can do then is if you take a cord back from that car and put it into your car, you can drive forever. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> you just have a loop. Right. 
All right, let's do some Ask ATP. Brian Ash writes, this one is for John. If Apple were to announce a new mini Mac Pro in April or May, can you imagine a configuration that would make you switch away from your Intel Mac Pro this soon? How much performance would you need and at what price would you would that need to be to make the jump? Uh, I've actually talked about this before, but it's worth revisiting now that we know more about uh, the ARM Macs. Um, I am totally open to a smaller version of the Mac Pro. Like, all I want is some internal storage and uh, a big GPU, and that's what I've got in my current Mac Pro, but if you open it up, there's a lot of empty space in there, right? So if they make a miniature version that can fit the stuff that I want and doesn't have room for all the stuff that I don't use, that's fine. Like, this thing has so many slots in it. Like, I I have a a second GPU in there that I'm not even using just because there are so many open slots, that's the best place in the house to store it, right? So... (laughs) I, oh and and I and I think maybe something will use it for compute someday. But like, I do not need the massive amount of space that's in this thing. But I do actually enjoy the fact that I have you know a bunch of internal storage in there and my big double height video card and all that stuff. So we'll see. I'm totally open to a miniature one. And as for when I would upgrade, uh, you know, I'm still assuming that the Mac Pro will be like the if not the very last, then at least one of the last machines to port over to ARM. So I've got a while yet to see what they're going to come out with. And if if the if the new ARM based Mac Pro equivalent comes out like by the end of this year, I don't think I'm going to upgrade that soon. It's mostly a monetary issue because I'm not going to sell this one. Like you know, I don't sell my Macs. I keep them. I keep, I keep the Macs that are meaningful to me. This is this Mac is always going to be meaningful to me. But I don't need to use this thing for ten years. Like you know, we always knew the ARM transition was coming. And I said when I bought this, if it turns out that the ARM Macs come out right after I buy this, oh well, I've got to be okay with that. And look what happened. Here it is. And I'm more or less okay with it. I'll use this Mac until I've saved up enough discretionary income to replace it or until it becomes so obsolete that I have to replace it. So maybe not the end of this year, but, you know, in two, three years, yeah, I'll be ready to replace it. Fair enough. All right, Ling Xu Zhang writes, do you ha- use File Vault on your personal Macs, and if so, why? I just got a new M1 MacBook Air and came across the setting during setup, which was on by default. I'm hesitant to turn it on because of the possible computational overload, but is that even still relevant? You know, I honestly don't even know if I'm using File Vault. I think I am on my laptop. I Where is that? Is that in security and privacy? I, I think you've hit on the, the main thing that I was going to say, which is, most people don't even know whether they're using file vault which really speaks to how transparent it is both from a user's perspective and i think also from a computational perspective there is computational overhead to it and i think it can still actually be measured although that might be harder with the arm max because all the uh the decompression stuff is probably has some dedicated hardware unit somewhere inside there well the t2 did accelerate that um, right. in, in the last generation of Intel Macs that used the T2, like the, the T2 did that, um, which made the computational overhead part basically free. Free, like at the cost of some additional power that your battery, you know, whatever. But like, but yeah, like it's it's the type of thing where like don't worry about the performance. It is what we're saying. Yeah. So it turns out I was looking. So in uh, System Preferences, uh, Security and Privacy, and then there's a tab for File Vault. Uh, both of my computers are using it, and I would have expected that my uh, my MacBook Pro definitely was, and I wasn't sure about my iMac Pro, but yes, both of them are. And yeah, I don't think even having I've used File Vault, especially on laptops, for years. I don't remember ever having noticed a computational difference. You know, I, I, I don't remember ever having noticed a, noticed a slowdown. Even there have been once or twice that I've either turned it on after I've you know had the operating system. Uh, you know, installed and so on, or perhaps even turned it off. But uh, yeah, I don't see any reason not to at this point, to be completely honest with you. Marco, do you have it in, uh, enabled on your Macs? Do you even know? 
I didn't know. I thought I had it enabled. I just checked on my Mac Mini that I'm using now, and it's not on on the Mac Mini. Uh, I figure I probably shouldn't turn it on during the recording. But I would <laughs> recommend not, Casey. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure it's on my laptop. But, uh, but yeah, I, I recommend leaving it on because the at this point, this day and age, the computational overhead of that I don't think is relevant. So I my policy is I tend to put it on for laptops just because they might be lost somewhere and whatever modicum of security it is to have this stuff encrypted at rest, I will take that, right? Uh, on my desktops, I personally choose not to enable it, but it has nothing to do with performance and everything to do with me being afraid of hosing myself somehow, but either forgetting the encryption password or it's somehow getting corrupted in some way. I'm just paranoid in that way that i have enough problems i was always i'm always doing weird stuff with my computer like trying to somehow get boot camp installed and bootable on an external disk which was a saga that i've just reflected on this the other day that i've long since forgotten what i did to make that happen so if i ever had to do it again i'd be starting from zero (laughs) (laughs) but it was really hard and it was scary and involved a lot of my machine being a in a almost unbootable state and that's before we even get to the arm max which are way harder to deal with booting and external booting right so the reason I don't enable it in my desktops is like, well, they're they're in my house. They're much less, li- less likely to be, you know, stolen or lost. Uh, and I'm kind of afraid that I'll accidentally lock myself out. Um, those are probably not good reasons. Uh, you should probably just enable encryption everywhere. But it seems like based on Marco's experience that Apple still doesn't default it to on for its desktop Macs. Otherwise, if Marco doesn't remember explicitly choosing not to do it, it was probably just the default. I'm assuming it defaults on on all their laptops, but maybe not on their desktops. So, I mean, th- th- yeah. this is also an installation that I brought forward from old desktops. Yeah. So I just checked my laptop does indeed have it on, and and I'm kind of with you. Like I I tend to make my laptops more secure. Um, like for instance, I I always leave find my Mac on on my laptops. But I don't leave it on on my desktops because remember back when Matt Honan was hacked and th- they used Find mm. My Mac to remote wipe all of his Macs. That scared me enough that like I I like the ability to remote wipe my laptop if it ever gets stolen, but I don't want anybody to have the ability to remote wipe my desktop. So it's that's just one of those things like I I, I always turn that off on the desktop. Uh, but yeah, File Vault is on on the laptop, and I, I leave all the high security stuff there. And I think I'll turn it on on my desktop too because why not? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I see no reason not to, to be completely honest. All right, and then finally from Johan Newbert, what do you think about the longevity of the M1? How long do you think they will last? Usually buying a quote-unquote first-generation uh, Mac computer can be bad in the long run. Do you think that they'll last as long as iPhones or even as long as John's old Mac Pro? I mean, I don't know. Look at, I guess, look at iPhones, right? Because this is, or iPads perhaps, especially early on, like in the iPhone 4 era, you were seeing dramatic speed increases with each new year's phone. But I feel like the last couple of phones have gotten, I they're snappier, sure, but I wouldn't say it's a dramatic increase like it was in years past. So I would expect it's, there, it's probably a three to four to five year chip without feeling too terrible about it. I mean, and also look at the iMac Pro, or excuse me, my iPad Pro from 2018. I don't feel like I'm, you know, CPU bound or CPU limited very often on that thing. And that's three years old now. So I think, I think you'll get some time out of it. What do you think, Marco? Yeah, I, I don't, I, I think if anything, you might get more time than you expect because it, it's the first of the new architecture so far, like in, you know, the reason why you're not really supposed to buy the first version of things, if you can help it is that usually the first version has problems, just weird bugs or shortcomings or weird things that they fix in later versions. 
we've had the M1 stuff now uh, since November, so or October, whenever it was well, delivered in November. So, you know, we've had them now for, you know, a good half a year, and there don't seem to be many issues, like, and possibly even any major ones. There's some software issues. Like, I've, I agreed. Pull, pull my kids about the reliability of macOS on, on the M1s, but those aren't, they don't have anything to do with the hardware. It's just like, okay, well, macOS has some shortcomings in terms of drivers or whatever, or, you know, like, yeah, there's more weird pink screens or not unlocking or stuff like that. But that that software, the software will continue to get updated, and the software will eventually come to accommodate these. But there's nothing, there's nothing weird about this hardware from a hardware perspective, simply because it is so much like and now is identical to uh, the iPad hardware from which it's derived. Right, so it's not like this is the very first system on a chip that Apple has made. Right, so I think the hardware is very solid. And Casey was talking about like projecting forward like how much faster a chip is going to be like well is the next year's chip going to be so fast that you'll feel bad about having this one the more important direction is to look is backwards because backwards behind this thing are the intel chips and they're way down there in the mud in terms of performance right so (laughs) as these machines get older the intel machines will rapidly become oh so, so slow i can't even imagine using those but these things will hang on because this is the big leap this is the big discontinuity it was like slow and steady one or two percent or five percent increase in intel chips and then this huge leap to the m1 and it's going to take a long time before the performance that's available in the m1 becomes so slow that you can't even imagine using it right like so i think these m1s assuming there's no catastrophic hardware problem are going to be usable useful computers for a really long time like think about that fanless 999 macbook air what an amazing performance bargain i think that computer will last longer than any thousand dollar apple computer has perhaps ever so yeah i am very optimistic optimistic about how how long these will be used, especially since that m1 macbook air doesn't have any moving parts even like it's so much it's like an electric car so much simpler so fewer so much fewer parts inside it fewer things to go wrong and the performance is great so thumbs up on the m1 we made a shirt about it (laughs) the only thing i will note about the performance characteristic of the m1 now having used them full time for however many months the reason it feels so ridiculously fast and the reason why certain tasks are so incredibly much faster than they were on intel or or smoother or better responding the ceiling of performance when you when you have very like efficient parallelized vectorized code is not that much higher than what we had before in some cases it isn't higher at all what they did was they raised the floor a lot so a lot of common things on the m1 common you know cpu tasks and everything those are faster sometimes by a lot and so it seems like performance all across the board, everything is just snappier and more responsive, but where the M1 is limited is when you want to push it really hard, when you're maxing out all the cores and doing something really CPU intensive. It's not slow, but it's not as much faster than the Intel stuff as you would expect based on how much faster it is with kind of more pedestrian tasks. Well, it depends on what you're comparing it to. If you compare it to the Intel $999 MacBook Air, it crushes it, and even in the parallel stuff, but as you get to the higher end, yeah, because they're using this chip everywhere. Again, we've just seen the low-end computers here. Um, But let's say the MacBook Pro, 13-inch MacBook Pro. That's an area where I can imagine the previous best 13-inch MacBook Pro intel model would match it in multi-core maybe but like as you get to the lower end machines you know you're thinking of multi-core as compared to like what about my 10 core imac pro but that's not what these machines are competing with right exactly and so 
if you are someone who tends to buy like the high core machines the you know the 15 or 16 inch macbook pro the imac pro the mac pro you know if you're buying the highest core counts and you're matching those maxing those things out first of all you're, you're going to want probably more gpu power than this can offer if you're doing if you're using that for like video stuff uh but i can i can i can see a good case for waiting until you know, whatever it's called the m1x or maybe the m2 whatever like the beefier version of this for the bigger computers ends up being called waiting for that but otherwise like i'm and and that's that's by the way that's why like my computer never feels slow to me anymore unless i am doing something like an xcode uh, archive build <laughs> or a lot of xcode builds honestly where you know my project is big enough now that when i do a lot of build in Xcode, and I'm using enough Swift now. Thanks a lot, Swift. I'm doing <laughs> whenever I do a build in Xcode, it maxes out all of the cores for you know maybe ten to sixty seconds, depending depending on what exactly it's doing. And you definitely feel that. And there are areas where I would love to have more high performance cores, just so I can shorten those builds. And when that you know whatever the, the next you know little Mac Pro ends up being, whenever that comes out, I will probably buy it for that reason. Because I don't need any GPU power more than I already have, but I really would love way more high performance cores. Like as many as they will give me, I'll take them. And you know, because right now I have four, <laughs> that's great. Give me twelve, give me sixteen, great. That would be even better. <laughs> you know, that, and so I don't know what they're going to do, but if you are that, if you have that kind of performance need where you're doing a lot of high end parallel stuff, you may want to wait and see what else comes out after this. If you're looking to use it for a very long time. That being said, right now I am incredibly satisfied with this it just the only time i notice it it being a little bit slow is that but i also look and say like well this is a macbook air or a mac mini depending on what which computer you're using and like these are for what they are and for what i paid for them it's fantastic all right thank you to our sponsor this week backblaze and thank you to our members who support us directly you can become a member and get a discount on our new merch by going to atp.fm slash join if you just want to buy a shirt and not become a member no problem that's cool go to atp.fm slash store thank you everybody and we will talk to you next week now the show is over they didn't even mean to begin Cause it was accidental Accidental. Oh, it was accidental Accidental. John didn't do any research Marco and Casey wouldn't let him Cause it was accidental Accidental. Oh, it was accidental Accidental. And you can find the show notes at atp.fm And if you're into Twitter You can follow them At C-A-S-E-Y-L ISS, so that's Casey Liss, M-A-R-C-O, A-R-M, E-N-T, Marco Arment, S-I-R-A-C, USA Syracuse, it's accidental. Oh my god, my arms are on fire. Your arms? Oh, because the of the hives. The, the hives. The hives. Oh, right. I've yes, never yes. had hives before this week. It's terrible. It does not sound particularly fun. Like, and they, these aren't even like severe hives. Like, I don't have to be scratching them all the time. I'm trying not to scratch them at all. Um, and they go away like sometime in the middle of the night. And like, because I, so I go to bed. They start. They start around like seven or eight p.m. I go to bed, and then I wake up in the morning. And they're gone. So 
I don't know what's going on. Well, people give me stick talking about my toes on Rectus. I, don't, I think this is worse. I don't want to hear about hives. <laughs> I, I don't want to have them. Believe me, this is <laughs> it's not not a uh, fun thing. But well, how do you think all that five G is getting out of you, man? I know. <laughs> I'm just I'm glad that they started before the shot, so I know that that's not so it. No, that's <laughs> not true, actually. Right. That's a good point. <laughs> just, your body's a petri dish. Some people's body are a wonderland. Uh, Marco's body is a petri dish. I always get the weird medical issues in the family. Like, I I don't have anything normal that's wrong with me. I only have occasional really weird stuff like this happen, and then it goes away. Like, okay, well. (sighs) So, anyway, hopefully by next week I won't be having hives every night for unknown reasons. Yeah, by next, actually, uh, next week's show I will be vaccinated. And next week's show I will be uh, where Marco is, because that's that's the day my second shot is scheduled for. Oh, and nice. You, I don't recall. Are you Pfizer or Moderna? Pfizer. Okay. So I'm the lone Moderna man. Yeah, my wife got her second shot today, too. She's went to bed early complaining of a headache. So <laughs> Lots of hydration is what I've heard. Uh, I'm not I sure. That, yeah. that, I think it's placebo, but I mean, it's always a good idea anyway. It is probably a placebo, but I was drinking water, Powerade, Pedialyte, literally Pedialyte, like whatever, nonstop the day before and the day of, and and I really did not have a bad go of it at all. Uh, like I said, I think earlier in the show, there was a couple hours where I was like really chilly during the day and felt a little run down. I had a lot of like, I don't know if you guys get this, but when I take NyQuil, which I don't do often, the following day, I'll wake up and I'll feel like my head is like two or three floors above my body. Uh, that's the only way I can describe it. Like, it's the most odd, like very light, not, well, not lightheaded, but like, like fuzzy feeling. And I had, and I would like would waffle between, oh, my head is not several stories above my body, like it is after NyQuil, but it's like the next story above my body. And then it would go into like a light headache and then back to this like floating head, like brain fog, as uh, Roll Call says in the chat. That's a good way of looking at it. Um, And I kept going back and forth with that. And I was freezing at night for two nights. But that was it. Like I I tweeted about all this and some people were like, wow, that sounds really bad. And I was like, no, actually it really was nothing. Like it really wasn't bad at all. Uh, so yeah, it, it seems to be just the luck of the draw. I don't know what to make of it. I can tell you from experience though, this is all better than actual COVID. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say like from my experience, not having had it, it's like certainly even what Aaron's going through, you know, super, super tired and, and feeling not the greatest. Like I'll take that over COVID any day of the week. And you actually are in the, you're, you're, you're uniquely positioned to say with authority that it is indeed better. Yeah. Imagine having that brain fog for a month. Yeah, no. Mm-mm. In addition to like the horrible fever and aches and everything that you had for two weeks, Mm-mm. like that's it's just it's no contest. Like, yeah, this, no, this is better, indeed. That and I I've probably said this live, and and the thing of it is, is that like if I knew that COVID was just a bad flu, like hear me out, hear me out. If I knew it was like just a bad flu where you feel like crap for a week, like fine, whatever. I probably would have just gone on living my life. But because there's such a variance between like, oh, you get it and nothing really happens and oh, you get it and literally die. Like that's why I've been locked in my house for a year because you don't know what's going to happen. And and yeah, like Aaron and I both were, not that we were dreading getting our second shot, but we're both like, oh God, what's going to come of this? Are we going to feel like death for a day? But you know what? I'll take it. That is, that is, absolutely worth it. I will absolutely do it. And I wasn't planning on getting preachy in the after show, but here we are. If you have the opportunity to get a vaccination, please, please do so. Please yes. do so. This is really it. like, this is, this is all of our duty to society. If you, if you can get vaccinated, get vaccinated. Yep. Couldn't agree more. 
I think that's fine for an after show, to be honest with you. I don't know how long I have in this Benadryl, so <laughs> we're going to keep it moving. Wait, I got I to gotta get you on the phone in like an hour and start asking for something that you really don't want to yeah. give me. Like, hey, man, you want to buy me a Tycon? Store's down, Marco. You got to fix it. What? What? You won't be able to. I'll be in DND mode, auto DND. 10 p.m. Yeah. is when it starts. Hey, man, I, I, I can call you twice in a row. That'll right. bust right through. Mm-hmm. Will it? I think it's only if yeah. I, like, tell you to, right? Like, don't I have to whitelist you for that, or is that, is that everybody? Uh, I think it might, might be, like, uh, people in your address book can double call through. I don't remember. Ah, oh, crap. You're in my address book. Oh, he's going <laughs> to actually do it. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm not yeah, he's going to be asleep by then. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm absolutely exactly. going to sleep. Yeah, he's got, he's got his sleepy shirt. So, yeah. I am in my sleepy shirt. You are correct. <laughs> That is a that is a fact. I'm in my sleepy hives, so I'm ready to go. <laughs> oh, no, no, yeah, yeah, you're in your own sleepy shirt. Yes, man, are speaking. red and blotchy on my arms. Gross, kind of itchy, kind of hot. <laughs> okay, I was I I did think the toe thing was much worse, but we're starting to even out <laughs> the longer you go on. I mean, the toe wasn't like infectious, or you know what I mean. Like it's not it's not spreading across my body, or as Marco's just hives be one, aren't infectious. You're just going to be one big hive soon. Yeah, but the, it's not infectious. It doesn't, it doesn't spread to other people. I don't know. I don't know how the <laughs> That's hot hives work. It's spreading to yourself. Now, granted, I only learned this like 48 hours ago when I looked it all up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. This is terrible. I, I don't know how people do this. Like, a lot of allergy people have hives on a more regular basis. I, I, mm-hmm. I God, I hope this is not my new life. This is not, I hope this has been my time, new normal. Time for some more allergy shots. Oh uh, yeah, I haven't got. I actually haven't gotten them in a few months because it's difficult where I live to, to get that done. But yeah. All right. Well, before you die, let's say goodbye to the live listeners. Thank you if you're listening live. If you've joined, uh, because at least a couple of you did. If you've bought merch, which I haven't looked, but I'm assuming at least a couple of you did. Uh, thank you. Thank you for just listening to us. Shill for all these things. That's very kind of you. And thank you for being live listeners. Hopefully not covered in hives. Live listeners, not hive listeners. <laughs> you and you all can rest assured when Casey said. A few of you joined. Casey watches the membership number. Oh, like a hawk. Like like a hawk. There was you don't even know. There was one time when like we there was like a wave of payment failures, uh, and just because it was like it was like the interval that they renew on. And Casey posted in our chat like it's we've had like a what was it, like disastrous. What was the word you used? Like <laughs> I know I know what you're thinking of, but I don't remember. Like a disastrous drop in members, it. and it was it was like you know like point oh one percent or something. But it was like whatever. It was like you know some number of people, like five people or something. It was, like, it was more than five, you big jerk. But yes, <laughs> it was I, some I, small I was, number of people, and you were like, it's it's a disaster. Excuse me, it was like <laughs> it was like twenty or thirty people, sir. And I will concede <laughs> that I was definitely having a chicken little moment. It was more than you were making it out to be, but it was. Still not as much as my reaction justified. Yeah, and and regardless, so if if you're out there thinking, should I become a member? Would they even notice? Rest assured, Casey will notice. <laughs> I will notice. <laughs> I look at the numbers too, and I actually keep track of them. I mean, I don't keep track of them over time, but I do have a little like solver sheet that I updated in. Like, let's put it this way: uh, prospective uh, members, we do not have enough members that you are one of an anonymous few. You, you are, you are a precious gem, a unique uh, ingot of whatever. Uh, there's not so many members, so come and join. So there'll be more. <laughs> and rest assured, at least Casey and probably John will notice. Right. I won't notice, but I will appreciate it. <laughs> Marco doesn't give a shit. But, but I, he, I I care about like you I'm know. Kidding, like, I'm kidding. I'm he kidding. He cares in the aggregate, but uh, yeah, that's it. Know. That's it. I, I care like what's the ballpark of how we're doing, and is the average either going up or staying the same? That's what I care about. If it, if it starts if, like if the average starts going down, then I'll start caring in a bad way, you know. But like as long as things are flat or going up 
in like trend wise, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I would agree with that. I pay closer attention than I know I should, and it's probably healthy, but uh, it's important to me. So, uh, not, well, that implies it's not important to you too. You know what I mean? It's just it's it's it. it there there are things that I choose to worry about. Casey also needs his garage door status and his uh, status menu bar on his Mac. So, there you go. hey, both of these things they are literally next to each other. Oh yeah. Did, did you see this was I think this was the best email of the week from Russ Newcomer. <laughs> Subject line Casey air tags use. I am surely not the first person to suggest that you put one on the top half of your garage door to determine if it's open or not. I see I, I read that and I'm like, how is that supposed to work? It's like the U1 can like point an arrow to say if it's open or closed. Like I don't feel like the resolution would be enough to make that useful. It, it, well it depends on how close the bedroom is to the garage. It's pretty close, that's right? That's true. Actually, Isn't yeah, it right on top of literally, it? Literally, that's right. Our master bedroom is directly above the garage. To, then we had to like launch the Find My app, which always takes a long time, and wait for it to find and register and show the letter arrow and then show the number of feet. <laughs> it, it, I was slightly miffed by it, it, but also it was a very, very good email. And so I, I did laugh. That was my favorite email of the week. Russ gets an award, a, a gold star for the best email of the week. Uh, I've put in our super secret text. Uh, this is my menu bar as it stands right this very moment. So you'll see that there's a padlock that is locked. So the garage is indeed closed. And then there's a <laughs> one to seven digit number that indicates subscriber count. You have that in your menu bar? You're damn right I do. <laughs> You're damn right I do. He's got too much stuff in that menu bar. Like, do you need Backblaze there? Like, the whole point of Backblaze is it just runs without you worrying about it. No, I don't want Backblaze there. I, can I remove it? Yes. Go to the oh, prep really? range. Go to the prep range and uncheck the checkbox, yeah. Where? I don't see any such checkbox. i for you. Um, I don't even know what half the stuff in my menu bar is. Backblaze. Oh, my God. There it is. Settings. Yeah. Oh, John, I love you. It's not new. It's always been there. I don't doubt it. I've just never noticed. I love you, John. That's that's. Tremendous. All right. So then I save you go. some space. Uh, what else can we get rid of? Uh, you can't get rid of Skype because it puts that up here whenever yeah. it's running. Well, that'll go away. Do is there. Bluetooth. Do you actually use that menu, Mark? Uh, I used to more often than, than I do now, so I could probably remove that. Yeah, one. Control Center now makes, makes that a lot less necessary for a lot of people. Do you ever disable Wi-Fi or pick a different network? No. Oh, so get that out of there. The oh, okay, yeah, good idea. We're really cleaning house here. Oh, okay. I'm I'm liking this. All right. Can I can I get rid of the Wi-Fi? This is this yes, is you can. This, oh yeah, I can't. Command you drag. Performing. Command drag it. And it's still available under Control Center if you ever actually want to do it. So it's technically still in your menu bar. Yeah. Oh, you're performing a wonderful service, John. Yep. And then and then get rid of Fuzzy Clock because it's dumb. I like Fuzzy <laughs> Clock. <you> know. <laughs> For those who don't know, Fuzzy Clock is, right now it says five, literally the words five space two, yeah. F-I-V-E space T-O space T-E-N, because it's five to ten. I like Fuzzy Clock. And and that's like, it's like, how can we make time really hard to read quickly? Like, I know time is easy to tell at a glance, because people are used to looking at both analog clocks and digital clocks, but can we make it, can we slow them down? Can we add cognitive load? And someone said, yes, we can. All right, I'm also taking away day one. I used to be religious about taking a note as to what that's, I worked on That's the little book, bookmark Yep, that's thing. the bookmark. And I don't need to do that anymore, so I'm just taking that away. Uh, Dropler, I use enough that I want it in the menu bar, even though I what, probably what? should just remove it. What's the lock icon on the far left? That's my garage door, man. It's closed. Oh, that's right. Okay. But you need a custom icon for the garage door. This is, now that we've made all this space for the glory item, which is the garage door, you need a custom <laughs> uh, you know, template image for garage door open and garage door closed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, everything else, though, I have iStep Menus, which I know is your favorite app of all time. Uh, let's see. If I could get, uh, can I get rid of Time Machine up there? You can get rid of Siri. I would recommend it. 
Can I? Yeah. God bless. How do I not know all these things? God, I'm an amateur. Because you don't use a Mac. I don't know. Uh, seriously. <laughs> Good grief. Oh, this is looking so much better, John. I would get rid of the clock, but now that's the freaking notification center, so I can't get rid of that. Can I, I can't get rid of Spotlight either. Hey, right? You've got fuzzy clock, and you've, and you've got the analog clock. But it, I know, I know, I know. Uh, then Synology Drive. Yeah, see, I... Oh, this is looking much better. I'm basically making your screen bigger. Pretty soon, it'll feel like you have an XDR. 